And to this day, I still take that with me, including while I'm working at Mel's Butcher Box, because so many people are asking me to do other menu items. And I'm just like, mm, no, because if they want a really good salad, they can go to the diner. I really want to stick to my brand. So like you said, you learn things and you take st- little things like that with you. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and today my guest is this dog. And her name is, what's her name, Melanie? My dog's name is Zucchini. So we've got two guests today. We've got Zucchini and we've got as sort of a backup, someone that I'm also very interested in speaking with, who's doing an amazing job in every level of execution in the hospitality space. And it's Melanie Landano of Mel's Butcher Box Food Truck and Mel's Butcher Box, the brand. Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having Zucchini and I. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. So, Melanie, before we get into it, because I have so many questions and and there's so many things that you're doing that I want to learn about and that I think our audience is going to be very much informed by. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in, in the hospitality space or just in general and what led you to Mel's Butcher Box? Sure. So I always tell people my job or my background hospitality actually started at the age of 11. I was fortunate to live in Brooklyn around the corner from an amusement park. The amusement park was called Nellie Bly Amusement Park. It had been there for probably 20 years before I got there. And I was always a guest there and I always wanted to be in the mix of making people happy and smile, even at a young age. I I just felt some different vibe every time I would go. My mother would give us $5. I remember to go and say, all right, go to Nellie Bly and you can go on two rides and get popcorn or a hot dog. And that's what I always look forward to. Nellie Bly was an institution where I lived in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. And most teenagers or young kids my age would go there for their summer jobs in the amusement park industry. Once you start, you never leave. It follows you for probably the rest of your life because it takes, it's a big impact. It's very impactful, like what you do and how many people you're around and, and just all the guests and, and just all the hustle and bustle that happens on a daily when you're there. So I was 11 and I started my first job. I, um, I love to tell people I used to dress up as a clown and walk <laughs> around the park and give stickers out that said, I had fun at Nellie Bly Amusement Park. And while I had that job, I was able to walk around and learn about every aspect of the business. So if there was something going on by the bumper cars, I was able to go by the bumper cars and and check out what they were doing. I was able to go by the food and beverage area and help them if they needed help. I was able to go to the petting farm and talk to whoever I wanted because I wasn't stationed at one certain spot. So I was able to see every aspect of the company, of the business. And it was so fun and so exciting, so interesting. I took that with me and wound up being there for about 20 years. I learned so much from it and I was able to, it got me through college. It bought my first car. It got me involved with the amusement park association called IAPA at a very early age. And at the age of 16, we were at these huge trade shows, international trade shows with park owners from all over the world, including Disney, Great Adventure, 
parks in Switzerland and Mexico. And it was just so amazing. And I was so uh, enamored by what I had been involved in. It was just so fun. I think that's another reason why I have the personality I have, because once it's in your blood, it's in your blood. So I could definitely see the foundation laid in terms of you being, you know, very much a people person and very much in tune to people's experiences and enjoying things within that context. How did that transition into the food space working for LaFrida and that whole thing in general? After Nellie Bly, I always wanted to, my goal was to work at Walt Disney World. I went there a lot as a child with my family and I wanted to work for the best and the biggest. And that was one of my goals. It was my dream and the dream came true. I happened to be at the right place at the right time when I was living in, in Italy, my last semester of college and the recruiters were there looking for people to work at Epcot. And I happened to be at the University of Rome and they were recruiting to work for internationals to work in the Italian pavilion. But they saw that I had all the, this experience and they accepted me into a program at Walt Disney World called the Fellowship Program. That's where I started to do special events. I did food and beverage for Disney. I worked in customer service and guest relations for them. I was there for a lot of their huge signature events. I came back to New York because my mom was sick and I couldn't go back to Disney. So I got a job for Valley Total Fitness, one of the biggest health club chains as a customer service director. And it's funny because I took all that hospitality, customer service and brought it into a health club, which they had never seen before. They were like, who are you? And I was an asset to them for what I knew and what I, what I had done to change the company around. And I was involved in their their juice bar and tried to help them sell more and and change products and promote and do marketing. So it kind of all came together. Once Bally Total Fitness went bankrupt, I took a couple of years off and did some consulting for indoor parks and restaurants as they needed it. But then I really needed a full-time job. And Pat LaFrieda is a very good friend of mine. And I saw that his company was thriving and he himself was growing not only in the meat purveyor, business, but doing events and opening up small stands, brick and mortars at the U.S. Open and City Field. And I reached out to him and asked if he needed some help and sent him my resume and told him I was available, what I had done because I hadn't seen him for about 15 years. And he hired me on the spot to start managing his locations at the U.S. Open and City Field. And from there, we opened our first brick and mortar in New York City next to Madison Square Garden at the Penzi Food Hall. And he hired me to run the business, to do all the hiring, the menu, everything. And then from there, we just kept opening more and more. And I kept getting more projects with him and really got involved with food and beverage. And he taught me so much with everything, the purchasing, the, the menus, the how to be precise on branding, how not to make things more difficult and keep it simple and easy and stay by your brand. And that's pretty much how we did it and how we became really, really successful as a team. It was amazing. What I really am am getting from your story, Melanie, as I'm listening to you is whatever area that you're involved with, you're constantly learning and you're learning lessons and you're absorbing things that translate into the next thing. And I think that's so important. You know, it's funny because as I was listening to your story, I remember that when I lived in Chicago, after I graduated college, I worked as a host for a restaurant that was being opened by the Let Us Entertain You group, which is a big restaurant group in Chicago. And it was a restaurant they were going to open in Water Tower. And we went through like a one-month training program before it opened. And I still rely on so many of those lessons that I learned back in 1993 today. 
So it really is important that no matter what you're doing, that you pay attention and you learn because these lessons translate. Yeah. You know, right? I mean, and I'm really getting that from listening to you. An example is that we were in a food hall and there were seven other vendors with us. We were the anchor, right? Everybody knew who Pat LaFrieda was. Our name was up on the window right on 7th Avenue. And there were a bunch of other really great chefs that were there with us, which was incredible to be with, right? So Pat always said, we're a meat purveyor. And I always remember this. And everybody always asks me, and it goes into what I'm doing now. We have to stick to what we're good at. And I am a firm believer of that. We're good at making stuff that he produces for us, any meat dish, any, any kind of high-end burger, steak, anything. So if someone comes and says, Mel, why don't you add some grilled salmon to the menu with the Penzi? And I'm like, why would I? We're a meat provider. I have to stick to my brand. I want, if people want grilled salmon, they'll go to a fish place where they know how to make the grilled salmon. There was a fish concept that started doing sausage and pepper and a pork sandwich. And we were like, what? And to this day, I still take that with me, including while I'm working at Mel's Butcher Box, because so many people are asking me to do other menu items. And I'm just like, mm, no, because if they want a really good salad, they can go to the diner. I really want to stick to my brand. So like you said, you learn things and you take st- little things like that with you. Yeah, but I couldn't agree with you more, Mel. I mean, I think it's so true. A lot of times you see individuals or entities that have a really successful concept and then they try to either incorporate other things into that concept that are really not in alignment or they'll open up a totally new concept. And I'm in agreement with you. I think in business, keep doubling and tripling down on that which is working and that which reinforces your brand before you try anything else. Right want to be the yogurt store that sells chili. Right, right. hundred percent. I want a store that will make frozen hot chocolate on a Friday night and still buy yogurt. That's what I want to be. Absolutely. So now (laughs) let me ask you, and I think your, your timing was perfect. So what was the genesis of the idea of Mel's Butcher Box as the food truck? And when did you start with that? And tell us a little bit about the food truck and the Mel's Butcher Box experience in that context. Okay, so just like everybody, we're all going through COVID and the changes through COVID. I was working as a senior project director for La Frida, best job ever. At the time of COVID, we had three locations in um, Brooklyn, in Dumbo at the timeout market. And then we had one location at the Penzi Food Hall. And we were prepping for City Field because the Mets were about to start two weeks after March 14th. When March 14th hit, We closed four of our locations. I had just opened one of them two days prior. We closed down, closed down Penzi, and then we were left without all our retail and special events and all those venues. For a while, I worked at the warehouse, but it kind of didn't work out for me only because I wasn't used to that type of job compared to what I was doing out in the field. So I told Pat I would consult for him. When all the stores opened up again, I'd come right back. Little did anybody know in the country or the world that it would last until now. We thought it would be two weeks. Yep. So I had to start to be creative and start to do, I always call it the hustle and try to do some consulting and see if people needed any anything from me. I wanted to start using what I knew. You know, it's easy for people just to sit and get depressed and worry about what they're going to do next. It started to happen, but I didn't let it happen for me. So I thought about what do I know? What have I done? And who are my contacts? And every morning I would think, what can I do? And I called Pat and I said, I want to start selling some meat for you. And I want to really go to see your customers, the customer base and see if they need help or 
if I can help him with the menu or do some pop-ups, his customers are always open to that. And they love the Lafrida brand. So I went to a Greek restaurant in town, very popular called Axia. I had been talking to them for years because they knew I worked for Pat. And I brought them some samples of meat. It turned out the owner of the food truck was at Axia. And he just saw that I had this type of dynamic that was brought into the dining room while I was talking to the chef. And he approached me and told me what he did. Mark Shelley, he's a really successful restaurant designer, furniture designer. He designed Sugar Factory, Smith & Walensky, a lot of the Starbucks and Vans in New York City. And it's just amazing work. So he told me he had this opportunity and I couldn't understand why his food truck wasn't out during the pandemic. I had wished I had met him in June because I would have taken it even further than where I took it today, where I am at this point. So he showed me the food truck and I told him that I was interested. I saw it was a full line, just like a regular restaurant. And in my head, I said to myself, I can run this like a brick and mortar on wheels. There's no reason why I can't. I called my chef. We did a tasting for Mark. And I'll tell you how the butcher box came. The way I do things, and we're going back to what I learned, I worked at Disney, so it all has to be a show. It all has to be over the top. And I like to have bells and whistles. Because even if it's not that amazing, you still have an impact on somebody, right? And your personality comes out. Totally. So I curated a menu, very simple, because I didn't know how to work on the truck. I didn't know how it worked. I didn't even test the equipment. I put my menu together. I got on my mise en place. I got everything. And I said, you know what? I'm taking this to my printer. I want to get it printed out, do it the right way, do a real show for him. And I was ready. And as I'm doing the menu... On the top, I say, I need a title. Okay, Mel's Butcher Box. Steven, I didn't even think about that it would become a brand. I didn't think it would stick to people's minds so much. I didn't really realize how that name could just represent everything that I've been doing the last 10 weeks. And it's been all over the media and the news and internet. And my, we have almost 3,000 followers already. And it's just it's crazy how one, I didn't even say, let's sit down and brainstorm a name for the food truck. And I just wrote it on the top of the paper with a pen. I didn't even type it. And that's how that happened. You know what's amazing, Mel? Just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but real quick, you've got me, even in this interview, you're filling me up with like energy and enthusiasm. <laughs> and there's two things that you said and, and that you've been saying that I'm really keying in on that I just wanted to mention. The first is... What I love about the story you were saying is that in the midst of the time when there was an enormous amount of uncertainty and all that with the pandemic, you started to ask yourself powerful questions, which is what's the opportunity here? What can I do? And that's a lesson I think everybody should really take to heart, that our mind will answer whatever questions we ask it. So if we ask ourselves low-quality questions like, why does this suck? Will it ever get better? Why did this, you know, your brain's going to answer it. But I love the fact that you just immediately put your brain to work. And it's funny, but it's not really funny. It's actually kind of predictable that these positive things come out of it. And the second thing that I'm getting from listening to you, which I absolutely love, is everything that you do because I've been listening to your story, you do to the best. There's no aspect of anything that you're involved with where you say, you know what, this isn't that important, so I'll give it a B effort, or this isn't that important. Because I'm listening to the presentation, you said, I want to get this, everything perfect. And then when we do the food, it's got to be a show. And I think that is such an important dynamic in being successful in life and successful in business. There are no small things. Everything that you do that you put your name to that's part of your process has to be your best effort. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was just so pumped up by that. 
when you work for people or when you're affiliated with people who are so great at what they do, you want to be better, right? When I worked for Pat, every single day when I went to that store, into all my stores, wherever it was, I, I wanted to make sure it was the best of the best. And people knew it when they walked in. I was the face. I had to be that person for Pat because he couldn't be there. And people were asking me, are you related to Pat LaFrey? I was like, no, I just, I love the brand. I love doing what I do. I have fun with it. And then all of a sudden it starts to become contagious. And then the staff learns and they have pride and they want to do it even better. And they get excited about showing me the new special or suggest things to me. And they want to do these amazing events with me with the Food and Wine Festival. And and those are the great things I've done. Enthusiasm is so contagious. Positive energy is so contagious. And it's probably the single most important thing that a leader brings to the table is infusing the, the environment with that level of energy and that level of optimism and enthusiasm. Because without that, you're missing out on so much. So let me ask you, so you were at the point, you came up with the name, which is a perfect name. Yeah. So now you're at the point of the story. So you've got the name, you go back to Mark, and then what happens? Mark does the tasting. We blew him away. I used my chef, Kenny Cuomo. He came with me. Blew him away. My sister came. I was like, you have to help me. Just make me a s'mores hot cocoa. Let's put a show on for him. He loved the food. His partner loved the food. He said to me, the truck was already branded. And I plan on rewrapping the truck. And he said, okay, the truck is yours. Do what you want with it. We have an event at Tenafly High School on Thursday for their championship football game. I called my staff that I had laid off. They came back to work with me because they had been calling me during the pandemic. I promised them I would find jobs for them. And we went out. We had a banner night. The first night out was our grand opening. Granted, I had never worked on a food truck. So there were things about it. They're running water no bathroom. It was just funny. And I always say to this day, I need somebody to follow me around with a video camera because every day it's something funny. There's always something. And I'm used to stuff like that, but it's just really It'd funny. It'd be great content. You could do a YouTube channel. Forget it. I should, I'll just need someone to follow me with a video camera all day. So we did great that night and I'm very well known in town. So that night somebody texts me and says, I heard you're driving a food truck around town, Mel. How come we don't know? And I said, oh, I just, I'm starting this business because I, I really didn't know where it would go. I thought it'd be a couple days a week and just to keep me busy. So she booked me for a party that Friday night. So I already had my first party booking after we were out for four hours. And then we started service in Tenafly the next day. And that day was, we had our menu, we were ready to go. I did every, you know, I'm used to doing menu design. I had used all my contacts that I had, all my vendors, my food vendors. I had Pat as my purveyor. I used the same printer I used. I used the staff that I had. I used a local woman in town, Cindy Gerber, to do all my swag because I wanted that fun element that nobody else does. So that's another thing that became, for me, I wanted to make sure all the people that I had worked with, I wanted to get back to them and say, you know what? I want you to be my vendor because you stuck by me during Lafrito or you stuck by me during the U.S. Open or I want to take my staff back. I want them to work for you because I was successful because of my staff. I want to use the local event woman in town to start promoting her and give her the business because in turn she can get me more business. But I want people to know I want to use local people. And what's so great about that is even from the beginning, you're reinforcing your brand with swag, like right from the, the first oh, week. Yeah. See, that's another great thing about what you're doing. You're thinking big right from the very beginning. You're thinking in an expansive manner. As I'm listening again, 
it's almost like anticipated that these things are going to happen because you're bringing that level of optimism, enthusiasm, and execution. And I really believe when we do that, the universe opens up for us in ways that we have to activate, but we have to be the ones to show the faith and the optimism first, you know? Think about all the people in the pandemic, including you and I. Yeah. Where do you want to order from? I don't want to go out. I want DoorDash, but I don't want to give DoorDash this. And like everything is going through your mind. I don't want to have the diner again. Let's try this. There's nothing opening. And all of a sudden, this big food truck that had been in town, everybody saw, all of a sudden comes to life. And it was a beautiful November day. And the lines and the people that came out, and they were so excited. They were so excited. They were getting everything on the menu. We sold out of everything the first day. I had no idea. You know, the, the timing was perfect. And just to dovetail into the menu, I love the decisions that you made. Can you talk a little bit about the menu, the offerings, and, and some of the choices you made around that? So one of the things that I've learned working with Pat is that to keep food costs down, we could take this as a business model, you cannot have a million things on the menu. You cannot have so much mise en place where you need six different toppings, 10 different toppings, or three different types of, six different types of bread or three different sauces. So what I learned from the chef and from Pat is like, let's stay very high end. You can spend the money on the good meat, hence the fact why I use Lafrida. But if we do less on all the sauces, the breads, you're able to spend that money on the product, right? So I came up with, of course, a cheesesteak using the ribeye, a Pat Lafrida ribeye. I'm very good at making it because I know it's successful. We've done it before with Lafrida. The Mel's Double Burger that I created with Pat a couple of years ago, and it was a great seller, and it's kind of like my thing. And I didn't want to put any of the burgers on again because I didn't want a lot of product on the truck. It's a small truck. I don't want a lot of inventory. Sticking to the Mel's Butcher Box, it has to be meat-centric. So I didn't want to start with wraps and salads or any of that because it's very hard to handle as well. I think I did a buffalo chicken when we first opened. It was easy to prep, easy to cook on an amazing piece of bread from Balthazar Bakery. What else did I put on there? Slider. Actually, I didn't well, you made, I mean, from the very beginning, you made, you made a few core decisions. One, you were going to go with the highest quality product. That was one. Two, you were going to make sure that the menu was absolutely reflective of the brand, that you were going to stick to a core focus of it, which I think is great. And then I know, because I did some research in preparation for the interview, sort of every ingredient is dialed into either the concept of quality or local or reinforcing the brand. Like, as you'd said, the bakery that you use is Balthazar Bakery, which is in Englewood. And it's made fresh every morning and I go pick it up and my sales rep will come see me. And I know Paula, the owner, and anything I need, they'll do it for me. Like I actually just asked them to do a, a 10 inch roll for me and I'm going right through the red tape, right to the back door and asking them that. So cool. Yeah, we do our mozzarella sticks and I tried, I tried a higher end frozen. I was like, no way. There's no way I'm putting something. If I don't like it, it will never go on the menu. I get the fresh mozzarella. My friend owns Leone's. She was consulting with me on what cheese is the best. How does she bread it? And I followed her lead and we make our homemade mozzarella sticks, our zucchini. There's no way I would get a frozen zucchini and put in the oil. I, I want it fresh. I want to put the lemon zest. I have a really nice dip for it. Just all of it. I want to make sure it's, it tastes incredible and the guests will come back for more. I want them to come back. That mod stick is great. So what's so cool, Mel, is like, so now you've got the food truck and 
people are, you're right, the timing couldn't be more perfect. I remember those days in November, the weather's out, you're bringing something new, everybody's psyched. Now you're getting tons of buzz, everyone's talking about it. And in my view, this has been the perfect vehicle to not only start the business, but to really be the ultimate way to launch your brand. Mm-hmm. And right now I have my cousin who's about to kill me has <laughs> been working through my social media. She's a millennial. She's, she's working from home. She's a teacher. And she has just taken it because our business right now is coming from our social media where we're trying to get as many followers as possible. Nina Pineda from Eyewitness News has come around. She's a friend of mine. She did a story on me. Somebody from ABC picked up the story and they did another story that's been on four times already and I didn't even know. And then once the local news, NJ.com and the Bergen Record and Suburbanite, they all picked up the story and they just thought it was fun. It was different. It was fresh. It wasn't a story about a restaurant closing. I said, I can't look at these publications. It's too sad to see the restaurants that are closed. And this was new and fresh. Totally. And what's so cool about it is, is it goes to show you that excellence and execution gets rewarded because when you don't take shortcuts, you're leveraging every aspect of your experience from the printer to the various relationships you've had to what you learned in terms of getting people engaged when you were working in the amusement parks and at Disney. All of these years of execution and effort and consistency and enthusiasm pays off. And now you can see it with this, and you're so right. One of the things we had discussed before even this interview was I happen to think food trucks are a phenomenal way for businesses to launch. And you can also have a phenomenal business just with food trucks because they're scalable as opposed to these ghost kitchens. Using the food truck, you've shown up at different parts in Tenafly. It's available for parties, right? And it's like a moving advertisement. Mm -hmm. If I roll up to somebody's house and they see this food truck and then they taste the food that's coming out of it. Yep. I did a party. We drove to Short Hills last week on a Thursday for a 21st birthday party. It was actually a referral from somebody else who had a party in Crestville, New Jersey. And the parents of the girl's birthday, they couldn't believe the food that was coming out. They couldn't believe how delicious the burger, how fresh our meatball was. The French fries. Do you know, I met with one of the sales reps for Lamb Weston. He's a friend of mine. His name is Vito. And every time I have a new concept, he comes to New Jersey with 20 cases of French fries and tastes it with me. He tests the oil. He brings his thermometer. He follows up. He gives me samples. And I said to him, this goes back to the parties. I need a French fry that nobody else has. It has to be delicious. It has to be unique. The fry on my truck, nobody has around town. I've never seen that fry that we had. And so you go to a party, it's not a crinkle cut, it's not, tater tots are always great, but this, something like a French fry that gets me so excited. No, it's true. And listen, everything about this is perfect because this is the perfect food that everybody wants. Everybody likes this type of stuff. There's no seasonality to it. People get so, so excited. But here's a kicker. If I'm doing a party because I'm the butcher box, I could do any cut of meat. I did marinated skirt steak, steak frites at the Anglewood Field Club hockey game two weeks ago. Restaurant quality. I was able to do it for them. And I got a great retail price that I sold it for and people bought it and it looked beautiful on the box. That's another benefit of A, being Mel's butcher box, B, being affiliated with La Frida, Mm -hmm. because I'm able to 
to market that and sell it. Most food trucks, it's a dumpling or it's a soup or it's a, this is anything and everything I could do. What I hope people are listening to is the following. We've been talking a lot about the enthusiasm and energy, but everything you're doing from a business standpoint is so perfect because you've got this platform, Mel's Butcher Box, which enables you to go in multiple directions without ever leaving the authenticity of your brand. So there's so many different ways that you can scale or there's so many different ways that you can generate revenue within the food truck, outside of the food truck. It's really a brilliant structure that you've created. Now I'm ready to take it to the next level, hopefully. My goal was to sell packaged meat like the burgers and steaks, but I have another idea how I'm going to execute that. So hopefully by the time this podcast is out, I'll be able to do it. But it's a great idea that I have and taking it to the next level, not just saying, here's a pack of burgers, it's $15 and be done with it. So I'm coming up with a different concept so it can give a little bit more to the brand. So that's what I'm working No question. You're always working on something. And the other thing that's cool, Mel, is that, and this is happening more and more in the space because there's been a lot of changes that have occurred over the past, let's call it nine months. And one of them is restaurants, and you're a restaurant, have found ways to really leverage their brand and utilize that brand for the in-home consumer as well. Because like you were talking about finding ways that you're going to package the beef and people are going to buy that. This is something that I think is going to be a huge trend going forward. And it's something that I think really accelerated out of the pandemic because the relationship that people had to restaurants changed and the relationship people had to eating at home. I mean, there's no question people want to get out. And I believe that's going to be a huge, huge dynamic. Like you know, Mel, once you get the at-home consumer then you're talking about a potential customer base in the tens, if not hundreds of millions. Right. Right. And I spoke to Christine, my social media manager. And this is funny because she said, do you want to do something online? I said, you know what? If people want to buy the meat from me, I really want them to come to the truck. A, because I want to meet them. B, I want them to buy something from the truck. You never know if they're going to want to use it for a party. You never know if they want something different. I don't like to shop online at all. I don't like to buy clothes online. I don't like to buy food online. I need to see it in person. And once I meet myself and my team and see what we have to offer, I think it would be beneficial for us. So I'm not really even looking to do it online. I think that's really smart. I think that's being counter trend and capitalizing on a segment of the market that everyone's looking. All anyone talks about nowadays is e-commerce and the the pervasiveness of it. And of course, it's a real thing. It's a massive thing. But there's tens of opportunities outside of that. Right. So let them come to my truck and taste my amazing French fries. <laughs> no, definitely. There's an interview on the podcast now that I did with the owner of Bon Senior Cafe. They've been in business for 30 plus years. It's an institution in the West Village. When I lived down there, I used to go all the time. They don't even have a website. He's so laser beam focused on the customers, the regulars, the experience of coming there. He hasn't gotten around to a website and his business is probably more relevant and more substantial now than it's ever been. So it's funny how that works, you know? Uh, A lot of people call me and they're like, can I order my food in advance? I said, yes, you can. I said, but I promise you, I try to get your food within six to eight minutes because we cook everything fresh. If you order a slider for me, I take the meat and I put it on the grill and nothing sits at all, not even the French fries. So I say to them, why don't you come and put the order in and I'll start to talk to the guests if it's a little longer, like, I really try to focus on that experience because that is the idea of having the truck. I want it to be more of an experience for them. If you want to call and order in, you can. They call my cell phone. I talk to them. I text them. 
But like you said, it's an experience, like your customer in the West Village. One of the things that I think is going to be coming out of what we're going through now is the value that people place on human-to-human interaction and the value that people place on humanity, I think, is going up, up, and up. And so any type of experience that's really going to I don't even want to use the word leverage, but, you know, when I'm listening to you, you can hear in your voice how much you care that everyone that interacts with you and your brand and your business has a great experience and that you want them to have a great experience. You cannot convey that through a computer. That can only be done in person. And I think the hunger that people have for that type of interaction is really off the charts. So I think the way that you're structuring things is so much in alignment with where things are going to be. And I think a lot of times people are looking backwards instead of ahead. And they think that just because it's something that was done, say, pre-e-commerce doesn't mean it's not going to be super relevant, maybe more relevant than ever in the coming years, you know? Right. The best part about all the swag I ordered were the customers getting it and wearing it and posting it. I had three women who came, I think they drove 40 minutes. They came for lunch two weeks ago and they all wore their shirt. They hid the t-shirts underneath their jacket. So when they came through, they all unzipper their jacket and they had the cool shirt that said, I didn't choose the burger life. The burger life chose me. That was one of our <laughs> That's awesome. We call the magical moments. But even before Disney, when I worked at Nellie Blight, you want people to be happy and come back and feel important and that their money which I probably don't have a lot of during the pandemic, is worth something to them. So if you give them a $10 t-shirt, they'll come back, they'll tell their friends, they'll have fun, they'll post it. And that's what I like to see. And the food, of course, is amazing. So not only are they getting a great t-shirt that's really cool, they're getting amazing food that tastes delicious with great service. This has been such a, a pleasure for me because I'm getting so much out of the conversation with you. Let me end our conversation with this question. If you were going to advise someone that is just thinking about getting into the hospitality space, whether it's opening a restaurant, a food truck, whether it's consulting, whatever it is, what would you say are some of the most or maybe the most one or two things that they should really key in on and know about themselves at the beginning of that journey if they're going to be successful? The first thing I would say is, are you willing to give 90% of your life toward the industry, toward the hospitality industry, your time, your effort, your talent? There's a lot that goes into it. It's fun, but there's so much more. Are you willing to stand behind the grill for 10 hours? Are you willing to wake up every morning if your staff calls out and take that shift over? Are you willing to go count inventory and drive around in your car and pick stuff up from the store if you run out of something? That's a big element that you have, especially if you're a business owner on your own now, because you don't have people to do it for you. The second thing is that depending upon how old you are, you have to use all your contacts, all the people that you've come in contact with that you think could help you, it could be beneficial toward you. Whether it be a vendor, a chef, somebody that you worked with however many years ago, a family member that might have some sort of talent that could help you in the beginning. It's very hard to do it alone. You need a team of people that you can rely on and you have to surround yourself with people who can help you and even make your job easier. And that's the most important thing. I like to surround myself with people that make me look better. And in turn, they look better And if you get that, then you could start on other projects because I've had a lot of people already approach me to open more and to franchise and they want to buy buildings for me. And it's great to hear that, but you need a great team behind you. 
And that's what I would say. Like I was on the phone with my chef this morning who I'm not working with right now for an hour and a half about my special that I'm doing this week or possibly future projects that we're working on. So that's my advice. Well, Melanie, thank you for this time. And I've gotten so much value out of this conversation because everything that is required to be successful, you're embodying. And I've I've been taking notes and I've been learning a lot from listening to you. And uh, I just know that you're going to be, continue to be this massive success and just a phenomenal, phenomenal time talking to you, Melanie. I really got a lot out of this. It's great. I'm really excited. And I hope once this pandemic is over, everybody goes full steam ahead and people find out talents that they never had and they'll be successful as well. They'll continue to be successful. This is just a bump in the road. I think. No doubt. I agree with you. So Mel's social media is incredible. So check her out at an Instagram at Mel's Butcher Box. On Facebook, it's Mel's Butcher Box. And her own Instagram is Melanie Landano 23. And, and zucchini on it all zucchini, the time. I was about to say, we don't want to leave zucchini out so you'll get to see what's going on there. But Mel, this was great and uh, really a pleasure talking to you. All right. Thank you. I really enjoyed that interview with Mel. I got so much information out of it and found it to be very inspiring. I love the way that she asks herself such empowering questions that lead to such great answers and and great outcomes in her business. I love the fact that there are no small details, that everything she does, she's committed to making as exceptional as possible. And I think for people out there listening and thinking about getting into the space, This is an interview you're going to probably want to listen to again because there's so much great information there that'll lay the foundation. I want to take this time to thank each and every one of you for listening. Our audience and community continues to grow, and I really appreciate it. It would really mean a lot to me if you guys would subscribe to the podcast if you like it. Even better, if you'd leave a comment, that would be most appreciated. As always, I love hearing from you guys, so please continue to email me at steven at woolcofoods.com or you can DM me at woolcofoods. And most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.